welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 13, the lucky number 13. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, and joining me as always, the casual, the venerable, Jared Benson. Jared, how's it going? It's going all right, man. How you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here with you on yeah, the end same. of this fun, fun week. Yes. First week back for me to school, so right into the thick of that again. Things have been busy, and it's nice to just take a few moments and reflect on video games. So I have been looking forward to this for a while. We rescheduled and got a, a time that we don't feel any time crunch, and so I'm really looking forward to today's episode. I think it was a good choice. Yeah, I agree. I think I it agree. is. We have the whole day to just chill and talk about them games. This is, of course, Bard's Backlog, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the Hall of Games. We are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate. Today's candidate is simply going to be our game of the year for 2020, which may not may or may not be one that we have already discussed at this point. It perhaps might already be in the Hall of Games. We will see what we conclude. Nonetheless... Whichever one does become Game of the Year will be entered automatically into the hall. It is not a choice of, it's not going to be a should we or should we not sort of thing. We're also going to handle it a little bit differently. I have a list of different awards that we're going to hand out. And so we're going to discuss games in a lot of different ways, a lot of different angles. And I think it'll be a fun conversation. Uh, You can find Jared and I on Twitter, even though both of us deleted our app for a little bit of time. Taking a brief break. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. I'm at Video Game Bard. Jared is at Jared T. Ben. We appreciate your input and support there when we are back, whenever that is. You can support this podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there or on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us, especially on Apple Podcasts. That will thoroughly help us make a bit more of a splash on the interspheres. Of course, five-star reviews only, please. Nothing less. If you do, I will find you. Um, I don't know what I'll do at that point, but I will find you. Last time, we talked about just getting back into Bard's Backlog. We had taken a substantial break, pretty much just the fall, Mm -hmm. off, Mm -hmm. thanks to mostly my schedule. I feel like you would have been totally down. So I, I put it on me for that whole long month's break. But regardless, I think it was valuable for me at the time. And I'm looking forward to renewing a consistency for 2021 uh but last time we just talked about that we didn't put any particular game into the hall of games the last entry we did put in was smash bros ultimate yes which since then jared has actually been updated quite a few times yeah a couple dlc characters already added since then so the game just continues to grow a fantastic video game and of course well deserved to be in the hall of games and now it's time to wrap up our 2020 I know it's 2021 already, but we've gotten a few days into it, and before we put a final ribbon on the glorious year that was 2020, um, I do want to take a moment and ask you, Jared, what is your favorite chip? Just to get us started here and get into the conversation. Tostitos Scoops. Okay. Yeah, it's a versatile chip, so many different things. You can dunk it and get as much queso or as little queso as you want, you know, Sometimes salsa people dip it in the salsa. They don't get the salsa because they don't like veggies. They just <laughs> yeah. like the taste. As a kid, I was that way. Yeah. I would just like dunk straight in and pull straight out. Just the liquid. Just the liquid, exactly. <laughs> but with Tostitos Scoops, uh, this podcast not sponsored by Tostitos, by the way. Uh, but they could if they wanted to. Uh, definitely Scoops because all the queso and salsa you can get. On Are they chip. the only company that does scoop-shaped? No idea. 
I I can't think of another I don't, one. I can't. Th- I don't think. At least not on like a typical store shelf. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen Uts do it. I haven't seen what's the other. Spot? You got Fritos scoops. Fritos scoops. That's right. Fritos does. But scoops. that's a different chip. Like yeah, it that's is. A, it's a corn. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're both corn, but corn based. They're different flavors. They so are yeah. totally different. Like, a Frito is thing. not a regular tortilla chip at all. So makes sense. Yeah. How about you? My favorite chip has got to go to chili cheese Fritos. Okay. I just I can't. I can't help myself when I'm around <laughs> a chili cheese Frito bag. It's a chip that doesn't need any accessories. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I, actually, if you add something to it, it will make the chip lesser because of how perfect <laughs> it is already. Um, so, yeah, just on its own, just a small snack pack. You don't need a giant bag. Yeah. Just, on, you know, just on a day, maybe you're driving somewhere. And there's a chili cheese Frito bag on the side. It's just perfect, in my opinion. Are you a Taki guy? No, no, me, me neither. I can't, I can't get into hot Takis. Cheetos and Takis. I can't do it. I like hot Cheetos. Oh, okay, all right, all right. But Takis are a different thing. I, I don't know. I can't do either of those. I like the Cheeto fries better. Okay, than hot Cheetos. I don't know if you've had the Cheeto fries. Uh, it, They're a little yeah. bit different. The consistency is a little bit different. They stick to your fingers a little bit more. Not necessarily my favorite thing, <laughs> but a thing nonetheless. College man, on like a weekday night. Tuesday night, you know, go down to the store, yep. grab a bag of hot Cheeto fries yep. and a large Arizona sweet tea, keeping oh. that, yeah, man. you know, simple, cheap combination. Go upstairs, do some studying. That was life. So got into them then, perfectly combined with the tea. Like the tea and the Cheeto fries just go perfect together. You can't get a better combo. When Josh surprises me with questions like this, I normally just say the first thing that comes to mind because if I overthink it, <laughs> It'll be a dumb answer. Yeah. <laughs> so I did not expect that, but I like our answers. Tostitos, scoops, and... For that. some reason, I was thinking, like, you would say pita chips. I don't know why. <laughs> Do I seem like that kind of person? You strike me as a pita chip and hummus guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's because of the way I'm doing my hair. I look like a, I look like a 90s knockoff Maculate Calkin. Regardless, um, let's talk about games. Let's go ahead and get this 2020 out of our hearts and minds and Mm -hmm. shove it as far away from us as possible. Uh, But before we do that, let's go ahead and do our first segment here. And that is, of course, separate from our goatees. The games we play in. So I'll go ahead and get us kicked off here. I have been playing quite a few games. Now that school has started up, I've really focused down on one game in particular whenever I have a couple hours here and there. And that is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Just quickly, just because we have so much that we want to get through today and the games we play isn't going to be our primary segment. I can't explain to you how much this game means to the industry at large. And the phenomenon that it is that we're even getting a remake in the first place of this classic. It originally came out in 1997 for the PlayStation. And... I know it was incredibly popular for the people who were around at the time. I was only one years old at the time, so I can't say a whole lot about it from my personal experience. But you were born in 96? 96, baby. Wow. Yep, right here. Are you 95? Yeah, I'm a 95, baby. Okay. A little bit. Yeah, you're a little bit older than me. Then. <laughs> um, so what, are you 25 then? Right yeah, now? yeah, 25. Oh. I don't know why I didn't know that. My birthday was in November. Oh. I mean, I knew it was your birthday. Yeah. But for some reason, I was thinking... Oh, well, now I'm a little bitter. I'll be 25 <laughs> in like a week. Yeah, so. right? Yeah. So we'll see. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah, this game was huge. Culture shifting. Final Fantasy wasn't a huge name. I think it was a little bit big in Japan. But for some reason, this one caught the cultural zeitgeist, especially in America. 
And ever since then, Final Fantasy said Final Fantasy series in general has just been huge for the industry and one of those well-known, well-beloved series. And I personally have never played any of them. I just never got into them. JRPGs were not my thing growing up. And so this is actually my first Final Fantasy. And thus far, I have been thoroughly impressed. Now, of course, it is a total brand new version of the original the combat's totally different. The graphics are obviously different. It is beautiful. I'll just say that. Like, I was very surprised how beautiful, like, the visuals themselves just pop in all sorts of different ways. Uh, it's very limited and linear, and I think it's just because it is an older game that it's based off of, and they kind of wanted to keep that spirit there. But what they do show you and everything is just fantastic overall. Combat's really fun. It's a little bit like a hack and slash. I would say, um, for your reference, Jared, it's a lot like Nino Kuni's combat, but with a little bit of your classic turn-based um, elements in there. So you just hack and slash, you run up to the enemies and you hit them and whatnot. But if you want to take a moment and use one of your tactics, use a special move or like an art that'll throw magic or something like that, you pull up a menu and the whole game stops. It like freezes in time. And you're able to go through it, which is different from Nino Kuni. It you is. didn't you didn't have anything that stopped yep. time, so it's very convenient in that way. And Nino Kuni is very frustrating and kind of terrifying because you would be like trying to pick something in the menus while running away from oh, a dude yeah. who's whacking you over and over, and you're just like losing health yeah. the entire time. Instead so. of a hack and slash, it's more of a run and scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. So this one's a little bit more refined in that way, and I'm just getting into some of the deeper systems with it. So thoroughly enjoying it, and I know that the story, from what I understand, is well-regarded, so I'm looking forward to getting to know the characters a little bit more. Thus far, I've already started to take a liking to a few of them, and I see why this is such a well-revered title. That's been the one I've been playing, especially within the last week or so. Before that, especially over the break, I played a lot of Hades, and a little bit of Shantae and the Seven Sirens. Now, I talked about Shantae last year. I picked it up for a little bit, and I just hit a wall with it where I wasn't able to solve a puzzle, and it's such a simple game. It's a super light Metroidvania. Like, it's built for children, and I wasn't able to figure something out. I don't think I was paying attention when, like, the text was going by or something, and so I just missed a clue, and I had no clue what I was doing, and I just dropped it. Never picked it up again. Up until a couple weeks ago, decided to pick it up again. It was something that I thought might be a little bit of a light experience. And I figured out what I was doing, and I've been able to easily progress now since then, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Looking forward to finishing that out. Really simple game. Uh, nothing that I think needs to be explained further, but it's a good little snack on the side of everything else. And then Hades has been perhaps the... Perfect end cap to my 2020 gaming experience. Man, that is a good game. Hmm. Um, and if you follow any sort of gaming podcast or industry news, you've heard about Hades. It's from the same developer that did Bastion. All of them have the same type of gameplay. It's all like combat arena. You're throwing multiple enemies against you in one small space, and then you have to dodge around them in an isometric view and slash at them, use your different abilities and whatnot. And each of them have a well-told story. Bastion in particular, which is what their original claim to fame was, has this whole narrator side to it where there's just someone talking through everything that you're doing. And they really adapt that same idea here for Hades in a really awesome way. 
The way that this game works is as a roguelike. So you are Zagreus, who is a very niche character in Greek mythology, who is a son of Hades. He's like the long lost son of Hades. He's apparently been in Hades this entire time to the point that none of the other gods of Olympus even know who he is. So he is now deciding to basically he's come of age and wants to leave and wants to get out of Hades. But his father does not condone it, is not allowing him. And so he basically says, like, go for it. Try if you want. And so you go through and you're basically fighting through the different demons and monsters and spirits that are in the realm of Hades and trying to make your way out of there. But every time that you fail, you restart back at the beginning, which is where the roguelike elements come in. So you go as far as you can, you get as well equipped as you can, and then when you die, you restart back in the house of Hades and then get re-equipped and head back out. And it is perfect. Like, I cannot think of any flaw mm. with this game. That loop in and of itself is great. It's it's made to perfection. I think there's three levels of Hades. It goes Tartarus, and then there's a, there's a middle one that starts with an A. I can't think of the name. And then it goes to Elysium. And then I guess there's so there's four and then sticks is the last one and each of them get harder and harder. Each of them have a final boss and the bosses themselves are really interesting. You kind of like grow in relationship with them because each time that you face them, they remember the last time. Mm. And so you have like a, a little bit of back and forth. And that's, that's actually different. that's different. Yeah, that's actually where this game really excels. The story in and of itself is amazing. I think I've gone through the loop 40 or 50 times now. And each time, every single character in the hub world has different dialogue. You learn more about them. You grow in your relationship with them. And every single boss, your father Hades, all the different characters in the world, you actually develop a relationship over time. And I don't, I don't think I've seen a single amount of text that has been repeated. Hmm. It's, it's That's constantly really giving you new information, new lore behind what's going on. You find out that who you thought was your mother, who's the the incarnation of night, Nyx, is in fact not your mother. And so that gives him motivation. And that happens after like your 10th playthrough that you realize that. Now he's more motivated to get out and find out who his real mother truly is. And then as you go through, you get what are called boons. They're power-ups that the gods of Olympus are basically sending down to Hades to you. And every time that you interact with one of those, you're having a dialogue with the god. And they get to know you, you get to like, it's constantly like narratively giving you more. And I am surprised at how deep it goes. And from what I understand, even after you beat the game, that only opens it up further for more exploration of these relationships, for more reasons to even play through it, more variety even in the bosses. I've gotten to a point now, actually, the first boss in particular is one of the uh, Furies from Greek myth. And you know her you guys have known each other because you've both been in Hades for a long period of time. And then you defeat her. And by, I think, on my like 20th run through, so I kept dying going back. When I got to that boss, the first boss, which I'm used to, it ended up being a different fury. It was her sister. And they just changed that without saying anything. Um, there was no implication that they were going to do that. And now all of a sudden, this whole new character is there. And you're like, whoa. And they had different ways of fighting. And it just like made it so fresh and interesting and then later i ended up running into her third or second sister i guess but there's three furies total that was a totally different person with a totally different personality and you have a different connection with them 
And of course, you defeat them, move on. And from what I understand, like after you defeat the game, you can actually see a variation where you end up fighting all three of them at once. Like things along those lines, they just keep it fresh, keep it interesting. And that says nothing about the combat itself, which is fantastic. It's quick, it's technical, it's satisfying. I would say, like every time that you land a hit, it feels good. And then when you add the power ups that the gods give you, you of course start to build in all sorts of nuance and strategy to it and how to take out the different enemies. On top of that, there are all kinds of different weapons. I think there's six that I've unlocked so far, and they all act totally differently. One of them's a bow and arrow. The other one is, like, bear claws. And then there's, like, a typical sword, and there's a spear. And then there's, like, a gun that I got uh, just most recently. And so, like, all of them are very different and totally change up the gameplay and how you approach each of the different scenarios that you're combating through. So it's just... I can't say enough about this game. I would love to be able to dedicate a whole episode to it because it is for sure one of the best games of 2020, bar none. And I've been putting a lot of time into that. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Haven't quite beaten it yet. I got to the final boss. I'm not going to say who it is, but I got there and got my booty kicked um, (laughs) very quickly. I was surprised I even got there. It was like on one of my earlier runs and got wrecked, and I haven't even gotten close since. And the game doesn't necessarily get progressively harder, but um, it just constantly is challenging, and so it pushes you every time that you do make a run. And so I thoroughly appreciate it for that reason. I think one of the one of the cool things that you can do with a, a loop like that is to take advantage of kind of build up over time, right? Each character is building up their skills over time so that yeah. every time you encounter a boss, it's a new experience, both for them and you. And that's very interesting that they changed the dialogue. I've never heard of that before. It's it's where this game takes it to the next level. Like that. Well, yeah. They are redefining what a roguelike is in a way that I think if you want to compete at this level at this point anymore, you can't just be a Binding of Isaac or a Spelunky where you are just jumping into its random every time and you're just going through it generically. Like That's not going to be satisfying anymore after Hades because it gives you so much outside of that. It gives you something you didn't know you wanted. Exactly. Because you kind of just expect every time you go see that same boss that you keep trying, it's going to be the same. That's yeah. how you beat it, right? Yep. You're like Their attack moves are the same, etc. That's very interesting. Now I'm really intrigued. So. Really good game. And yeah. if you are afraid of the actual difficulty, because roguelikes are dif- they're designed to be difficult and to kill you right Mm -hmm. like you're supposed to play it over and over and over right right. um if you're terrified of that they have what's called a god mode because technically zagreus is a god your character and so he in the god mode basically grows stronger every time so the enemies don't get stronger uh, or weaker necessarily but you will start to notice that you're taking them out a lot faster so you'll be able to beat the game a lot sooner than someone that doesn't have that advantage um, in the regular game, you don't necessarily grow stronger, per se. It's all based on your own merit and skill, which gets better, obviously, as you play it, as you get used to the loop and everything. But if that is something that you find might put you off from a roguelike, they even build in an option there for people who might you know, shudder at the difficulty spikes that come with a roguelike. Like, that is going to get you, if you use the god mode, you will see the end of the game. Like guaranteed Mm. thanks to that so i think that's pretty cool as well yeah pretty revolutionary jared what games have you been touching recently so massive two in my opinion massive time sinks uh one i've put more time into but really the only two worth mentioning for me lately 
have been Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, which is a remake of the original Xenoblade. came out in 2013, I want to say, for the Wii U. Or Wii. Something like that. It was a Wii game. came out a while ago. I want to um, say 2010. Okay, that, that maybe that, That's right. It came out before Skyrim. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, 2010, that sounds right. And then uh, the Definitive Edition was released this year for the Switch. Updated graphics, um, story obviously the same and everything like that. Just cleaner, built for a new platform. Better menus. Yeah, better menu, all that stuff. Much smoother uh, UI on on the front end and obviously a facelift. Which is normal. Like a remake, that's normally it. They just touch the bones of it, make it able to withstand like a higher gen console. And then that's your remake, really. Like they, they don't try to touch too much of it. Now we can talk about, this has been the year of remakes, I feel like. Sure. As far as big names, uh, you're talking about what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy. A big one. Tony Hawk, Pro Skater 1 and 2. Yeah. Massive remake that's had tremendous success. Mario um, 3D All-Stars. Mario, exactly. I was gonna kind say, of. Mario 3D All-Stars is was, was a facelift to Sunshine and to 64 just to get it running, right? Like yeah. on, on the new console. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. not too much of one, but like this has been the year of remakes for sure. And then the other game I've been playing more on this later, but Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is a Breath of the Wild-ish game with heavy Greek influences and a brilliantly written script. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hilarious. Makes me laugh out loud. It's hard to find things that make me laugh out loud. Like I'll do the, I'll do like the, the nose heavy, you know, like, you know, (laughs) that's about as much of a laugh as you'll get out of me typically. (laughs) But like, I found myself like actually laughing at this game. So Really enjoying those two games, and uh, yeah, those have been the games I've been playing. But. Immortals, I played also over my break. I didn't mention that, but that was one of the games over Christmas break I actually dived into. I pretty much put all my time into it, beat it already, thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. Would enjoy going back, I think. Maybe I'll see it once the DLC comes out. I'm curious to see, but I would agree. Like the the story itself was, I just like the way that it's set up. It's Zeus being told a story by Prometheus. And so they're just like bantering in the background consistently, which helps keep you interested. And they're constantly talking about like really interesting Greek mythology and they're making jokes about it and the different relationships, of course, that are notorious within it. So I like that aspect of it for sure. And and that's actually something I think it has in common with Hades, another Greek game. Yeah. I pretty much just played Greek myth games (laughs) over the course of the break, which is great. I love, I love Greek myth so much. So it was a ton of fun. But like Hades has the similar kind of like you're you're getting a lot of the lore bits, but taken in a different way. Like you're seeing a different angle of it, almost a reinterpretation of it. And Immortals does a really great job of that. I don't think Phoenix is technically. I don't know if that's an actual Greek character. I don't think so. I think it's made up. Like yeah. You have the, the original spelling of Phoenix is in the bird that sets itself on fire, right. which is funny because Phoenix gets a Phoenix Yeah. Uh, in the game. Well, but... and they, they end up closing that loop at the end. I won't spoil it for you, but they end up addressing that. Yeah, I'm not quite to the end, but it's, it's good stuff. And I think what's refreshing about this game is that we've had so many Greek Greek lore stories that take themselves really seriously. Right. And they're like, oh, Hades is the... There's been so many movies. The movie Immortals. The movie... Uh, there's been a number of movies. That Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. That, some of them cheesy, some better than others. Percy and Jackson. Exactly. So uh, plenty of Greek myth that you take seriously. This game is so... It catches you off. It's like a slap in the face, really. In a good way. <laughs> like, I like your cut, G. Kind of a slap. And it's it's good stuff because it's it's actually funny. And it's, it's a Zeus and a Prometheus that don't take themselves too seriously and have 
almost it reminds me a little bit of the humor of Mamma Mia in a way. Okay. <laughs> Which is also like kind of Greek or whatever, Mediterranean. <laughs> That's the only reason I thought of that. No no connection really. Very irreverent. Yes. Like uh, exactly. it's like a Cartoon Network cartoon. Yes. Refreshingly so. Yeah. Because it's well done, it's well thought out. And can you I, I imagine they almost maybe not had to, but I can easily see someone coming in, hey, we have this idea, we're gonna use Greek lore. Ugh. Greek lore. Here exactly. We go. Overdone, overused. Well, and that's then they say, me. but wait, it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. And that's where you sell them on it, on the pitch. So. No, that's me, 100%. I, I studied a lot of it in history classes because I have a history major. And so I know a lot of these stories. Even in high school, I was very enthralled with Greek myth. And so I would just Wikipedia all the day and whatnot. So it is something I think can be a huge attribute to the game that a lot of people, I think, overlook with it. Because they they look at it and see, and the way that the marketing kind of goes is just Breath of the Wild clone. Yeah, basically. Um, with Assassin's Creed mixed in there um, yep. is how the gameplay really works out. And that really does kind of wrap it up. But you have this whole Greek cloak over it that is done to really great effect. Mm-hmm. That I thoroughly appreciate. And makes this, the world itself... I mean, Greek myth already is incredibly interesting, but... They do their own spin on it, which I super appreciate. I told Josh, I said the the user interface for this game, the, the way it plays is like a very high-end, two steps above a mobile game. As in like the texture package is really what I think of when I say that. Because okay. it's it's kind of uh, edgy in a cartoon sense. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, a little bit like Cartoon Network, uh, a bit, you know... Uh, obviously better because it's it's a video game but no I, I love the texture pack i love the look of it i love um I, the whole game is just really really enjoyable josh mentioned this earlier uh, uh, before we aired the it's comfortable because it's it's that breath of the wild feel to it so you're like oh, i've been here before but whole new place whole new look a uh, whole new cast of characters and really really enjoyable now before we move on jared i do want to move back quickly to your previous game xenoblade yes and ask you about that because we talked about earlier in this year holding you accountable to actually playing through it yes and we had planned it and everything and now we're actually going to do an episode on it Mm -hmm. that'll be our next one uh so there's your official announcement for that but i am curious as someone who hasn't played through a full jrpg before how is it clicking for you is it something that took a little while to get into or like what is driving you forward at this point? Because you are pretty far into it. Yeah, I'm very far. I actually am chapter 17, the last chapter. Uh, it's a, So Josh introduced Xenoblade to me this way. He's like, it's Asian. Uh, it's going to take you 50 hours <laughs> to finish the story. And uh, it, it's something you'll, you'll have, you've never played before. So I thought, okay, all right. Sounded like a grind, honestly. And I text Josh, like, day one of playing it. I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I texted him because I hated the combat because it was so new for me. It was so different. Uh, you know, me being a Skyrim punk, that was, you know, that's all I was used to. First person, you know, slash spells. Yay, run away when it's too hard. And this was different. You have to kind of play with an AI a partner. You have to choose who and what to upgrade, what to wear. You have to grind a little bit at times. You have to... It's It's been different. The game is so complex at first. I, I have to admit I was really overwhelmed because there's so oh, yeah. much information being injected into, yeah. into the first, I mean, hour of gameplay. You have to have a scrolling menu for the tutorials. There's so many of them. Yep. That's within the first hour. And you haven't even gotten to the story yet at that point. So it's it's a lot. 
but worth the investment. High payoff for the time you put in. I really love it. It has become one of my favorite games of all time, and I can't wait to talk more about it on the episode that we do on it. All right. Yeah. Cool. But it. But at first, I did text Josh. I was like, I hate this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we played Nino Kuni. Yeah. And that's a JRPG that is very user friendly. I guess. I mean, there is some of it that's a little obtuse and complicated, but. Xenoblade is just that to the nth degree. Yes. It is a JR, like everything that you attribute to a JRPG, and we'll talk about that when we get to it, but like all of it is there and it is there in spades. And all, you're right, all these systems, all these tutorials, and they're all important. Yes. And they all deeply, like, like the, the combat itself looks so generic, but there's so much nuance. And if you don't understand it, which is difficult to understand because they basically just create their own terms and then expect you to understand okay this one goes along with this term and these are how they all work together in an actual combat situation like all of that is super complicated yes so it can be a huge turnoff and i understand why that potentially could have been so i'm glad that it's clicking for you it is and that you're enjoying it because it is, it is one of those experiences that once it does click it clicks hard like i i would say and so it's it's a great game when you give it that time of day. A lot of people do consider Xenoblade Chronicles the original, not even the second one, but the original, one of the best JRPGs of all time. Uh, glad to hear that you're yeah. getting interested and enjoying it, for sure. Teaser for that episode, can't wait. All right, well, before we jump into our goatees, just a quick look ahead at this year with 2021 with our default segment. <laughs> I only have one question for the segment here, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with video games. Jared, what is your ambition, your focus, your hope for 2021? Not resolution, not goals necessarily. I mean, goals, I guess, are a part of it, but you don't have to outline a bunch. Just in general, what are you looking for out of this year? So I'll have to pivot just a little bit, but ambition, focus, and hope, you know, some some people say that if you have more than three focuses, you have none. And I, I believe that is true just because the average person's ability to hold multiple complex things and life is complex, complex things in their brain at the same time is limited and it should be restricted because you, you should want one thing enough to focus on it, you know, to the degree that it requires. So for me, I do have a couple. I have some fitness goals. I have some uh, personal goals. I have some career goals and different things like that. But I suppose that my the one thing that ties through all of them, and I did mention this to Josh, my one goal is to improve how much people can rely on me. Uh, we talked about this Wednesday, but my reliability as a person and my personal relationships and my career at work and all this different stuff, sometimes it, it, it lags just a little bit. For no reason other than that's just my natural temperament is I'm not super conscientious or I don't have much anxiety about due dates, <laughs> things sure. like that. So sure. I, get, I sometimes get into trouble. So my my hope uh, and my ambition for 2021 is become more reliable uh, in my life. So that's it's not really like, oh, I need to be 20% more reliable by the end of March or something. you know. <laughs> I, but that's my ambition and that's my focus really. And uh, I hope by the end of 21, I can say, you know what, I, I kind of stepped up this year. So I cool. step up if I can phrase it into a, a vibe for 2021. So not necessarily breaking it down Benjamin Franklin style and giving yourself a schedule for the month of like, here's what I'm going to do on day one to do this. But just overall, you just want to improve. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yeah, cool. How about that's, you, Josh? That's great. Um, I don't have anything as honorable, I would say. I just want to... <laughs> Play more games! <laughs> yeah, I just want to get in shape, honestly, is my big thing. Just 
further in shape. I've been trying to do that this year already. Started running, starting to eat a little bit healthier. Today's a bit of a cheat day for me, but I am focusing on that. And then also just wanting to stay consistent, I Mm -hmm. guess, with what I'm already doing. I'm launching another podcast. You can go listen to the pilot right now, Red Pixel Podcast. And then I also just want to keep Bard's backlog going. And the rest of my stuff going like my education my job i'm hoping to transition to a full-time position and then working on a uh, master's degree online so that'll be a bit of a shift not necessarily a huge end goal because it's not an end goal just be a start of the next chapter or whatever um, which is basically a continuation of this chapter so it's all the same chapter i think in my mind anyway so it's more just keeping that consistent keeping that ball rolling and then yeah just getting in shape otherwise like I used to be a person of the resolutions and like setting all kinds of goals. And quite honestly, like I think I just in the middle of the fall realized that it's not about end of year or this year in particular. It's about today. Like it's about this particular day. And as I wake up in the morning, tackling what's in front of me. And if I can just keep that focus and stay consistent, um, I think I'll be fine. So that's kind of my idea and ambition for 2021 i like it not exciting but it is what it is i don't think daily life is exciting but in, that's kind of that's the that's the meat of what we our lives make up is yeah 80 percent of that day-to-day stuff yeah so i like it 100 percent. you know and they say like being consistent that's one of the things that i immediately think of the example of the you know elderly lady who's lived for so long because she had a diet coke every day yeah you yeah know, like yeah, a yeah, very yeah. specific time like, yep so I want to get that vibe going, you yes. know, like, that's all I'm after um, at this point. And then, of course, yeah, video games for days, man. I tallied up on my PlayStation alone. I have 85 games in my backlog mm-hmm. that I own that I haven't either fully finished or even touched at all. Yeah. So getting started on those guys. And then, of course, all the other games that are coming out this year. This is the this is the time of life to do it, man. 2021... Uh, really 2020 i think launched because you have you have uh, disney plus launched what 2019 i think yeah yeah 2019 and then obviously took off in 2020 you know almost a relaunch essentially because of covid and all mm-hmm. that stuff mandalorian season two every time they release mandalorian i'm sure they're gonna get a bunch of new subscribers you know how that works but we live in the year of streaming as opposed to owning and that concept does apply loosely, more loosely, but to the video game world. And there is tremendous deals on uh, getting accounts. Stadia is one of those that's trying to do their thing. It's Xbox, Game Pass, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's that's the idea. If you want to get into games, now is the time to do it. Absolutely. So, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into the Game of the Year Awards for 2020. So let's jump into these categories. We have multiple different categories. Jared and I both have separate picks for all of these categories, including our personal game of the year. And then at the end of the podcast, we are going to appoint one specific game for the podcast. It will be the official podcast game of the year. And I don't even have anything listed for that. So I'm curious to see how that conversation goes. Yeah, we'll have to talk it out. Yeah. So jumping into it, just off the start here, I thought a good award to start this with is going to be the best moment award now just to clarify these are awards that are based on jared and i's gaming experiences this year so not necessarily what came out this year 
per se, because I played a lot of games in my backlog that came out in previous years, and so did Jared. So not necessarily going to be tied to explicitly just 2020 titles here, so I'm sorry if that frustrates you, but more to our experiences in 2020. So the best moment doesn't even have to come from a 2020 video game. And with that said, I'll start off here. My best moment award goes to the Ashtray Maze moment from Control. So I played Control at the beginning of the year. This weird mind bending mind I was gonna say goggling and then I just Mind bending. Bending <laughs> mind bending video game with a lot of subtext and interesting conversations to be had about it. And I think the just when I was looking back at the year and all the different games that I've touched, this particular moment stood out because it was the most eccentric, most gamey gaming moment. I, I don't know how better to explain it, but just like it encompassed everything I love about video games. Mm. It showed what the medium can do, not only in gameplay side of things, but in narrative. And it also just was so much fun. It was its own extreme vibe and it was perfectly developed to a T. Like you could tell this was the pinnacle of what these developers were trying to show you with the original game. And I don't want to spoil a whole lot about it, but essentially what happens in the game is your character shows up at what they've been told is the ashtray mage, this portion of the federal Bureau of control. And you are tasked with getting through it to the end. And it's supposed to be this notorious puzzle and what goes on within the ashtray maze is just pure insanity. The walls are constantly moving and shifting and you're like running through. You have basically like you're within the mind of one of the characters and they have headphones on. And so you're just having this like hard rock music playing the entire time that was totally different from the rest of the game's vibes. And so you just like have this hard rock in the background you're using all your powers that you've gotten to that point to be taking out all the enemies around on your path and you're flying around. The whole world is shifting around you and it's just like you get into this rhythm of it. You start to like feel almost a high coming out of it. And then when it ends, you just like have to take a deep breath and like sit back. And and that's exactly what I did. I was like, whoa, <laughs> video games. <laughs> like, and it's just that it gave me that moment this year. And I know that it gave a lot of people that moment. in I think it came out in 2018. I might be wrong about that. Uh, no, it was a 2019 game. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, it was one of the candidates for game of the year. 2019. 2019 right? Yeah, yeah, so 2019. So I know a lot of people discussed it back then, but I just got around to it at the beginning of this year. And man, it was awesome. Mind-blowing, in my opinion. And one of the peak video game moments of the last decade, for sure. And it's buried within a game that I think is a little bit, I don't want to say generic, but a typical video game fare outside of the convoluted story. But when you get to it, you realize that this game, like in this series and this developer, was really trying to nail something special, and they did it with the ashtray maze honorable mentions for me just to point them out that i wanted to put for this award one 2020 game would certainly be ghost of tsushima when Jin receives his ghost stance which is one of the major narrative moments in the game it's where he achieves his pure form his original form that's distinct from a samurai not quite a ninja and that is terrifying to the mongols and the entire screen turns black and white 
and you stand up and you're doing an instant kill on all the enemies around you and people are mortified every time that you kill one of them um, and the Mongols are like fleeing from you. It was just like this awesome moment of like Jin. It was like him reaching Super Saiyan mode <laughs> and like powering up and you're like, oh snap, here he comes. And so that was really cool. It's like halfway through the game that that happens. Uh, fantastic moment there. Also, I played Wolfenstein 2 for the first time this year and we'll talk about that again in a little bit, but this game is a game of moments. I feel like you could have a whole podcast just talking about the moments in Wolfenstein 2 and like con- like making top 10 lists out of this game in particular. But the one moment that just was mind-blowing was this narrative moment where BJ Blaskowitz, who's supposed to he's the like American who's been taking out all the Nazis, he's the Nazi killer who is associated with the Wolfenstein series as a whole going all the way back to the early 2000s and he reaches a really interesting point here where his enemy, the female Nazi commander, comes and captures him. And you go through several chapters of him in confinement and you're likely going to break out. And at one point you think you break out and then you realize he's actually only dreaming. And it has a very um, Bierce. I don't know if you ever studied Ambrose Bierce no. in literature. He has a style of writing where he will basically pull the rug out from underneath you at the last moment. Mm. And you'll like the narrative will be going one way and all of a sudden you realize, uh oh, nope. And it's like a plot twist at the end. You realize this is actually what's happening. And that's what happened here. It totally got me where I thought that because he's BJ Blaskowitz, he's like this premier Nazi killer. He's the main character of the game. And you've played through him in the original Wolfenstein and the Wolfenstein remake. And then now here in the sequel, Wolfenstein 2. And he just like is supposed to be the one that's, you know, leading all of the world against the Nazi takeover, the Nazi empire that has developed in this alternate history. And all of a sudden, he's in front of millions of Nazis in a stadium. He doesn't, he like comes to, realizes where he is. And then the female commander ends up succeeding with what she wants to do. And she executes BJ Blaskowitz in front of everyone, chops his head off. And I was just like, what? Yeah. Like, okay. And I I didn't know where the game was going to go after that. I was like, he's dead. And her whole thing, her whole like shtick was chopping people's heads off. So like you kind of had a feeling like that was going to be coming, but it made you think that you were going to get out. And then all of a sudden you didn't. And the protagonist is now all of a sudden dead. And you're just like sitting there in shock and not knowing what's going to happen next. And it was just a fantastic moment. Um, that's a game that also came out a while ago. So not a 2020 game, but a really good narrative experience. And I'm not going to spoil what happens next, but they do kind of continue the story in a lot of interesting, super sci-fi, goofy ways. And I love Wolfenstein for that. But that was a big moment for sure. Mouth agape, just staring at the screen. Like what? I like called my wife. I was like, oh, Karina, (laughs) come over. Like, look at what's going on. Just a crazy moment for sure. Uh, last one I'll mention, I'll just be brief about this. In Hades, you reach the final stage, Styx, and at the front door of Hades sits Cerberus. But Zagreus, the character that you're playing, is Cerberus's friend. Mm. You grew up with mm. Cerberus. He's like your dog, like your pet. And so you face off, and Zagreus, who's trying to get out of Hades, of course now has to face his dearly beloved friend. And they they like stare at each other. They exchange a bit of respect, and you just have this moment over like, oh no, yeah, like no, I have to kill my 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 friend, my pet, like my favorite doggo. And you can like 
talk to him and pet him throughout the game up until that point uh, there had been several moments where i went over and talked to him you know every time that i reset at the house of hades which is where cerberus typically is um and so you realize like oh this is the guy you have to go through and you just like have this moment of like sorrow and then they end up having an exchange where they decide to not fight and instead, uh, Zagreus has to basically bribe Cerberus. And so it worked out really great. But like for a moment there, I was just like, no, like my, <laughs> my pet. So great moment as well. One of the best moments um, in one of the best games of 2020. But all that to say, I, I between all those different things, I was pinpointing which one was, I think, the best, the most that I think was a gaming achievement. And Ashtray Maze, for sure, comes out on top. Best moment, Jared. What would you have to say? 2020 was a year of moments. And I know every year, you know, is a year of moments. But in a sense, that was there was a lot of big moments one after the other. It was 100%. almost as if 20 was, 2020 was a video game. And I <laughs> kind of want to wake up. Uh, someone pull the rug out. Um, but no, for me, the, the best moment came in Xenoblade Chronicles. Just we previously mentioned this. when So the, the leveling system in Xenoblade is pretty simple. If you're within two or three levels, uh, either beneath you or above you, it's going to be somewhat of a challenge. But if someone is five, six, seven levels above you, it's you're not. There's no way. You can't scale it. you got to wait. you got to grind until they get there. So sometimes there's like a gimmick in a video game where you can like cheat, right? You can sure. get a big boss and then if you shoot him, hide behind a rock, shoot him. You right. know what I mean? Like 100%. you can't. But this game does not let you do that. There's there's an agility metric, which is one of the most important backbones uh, backbone metrics of the game. If your agility isn't up to a certain point, you just can't even compete. You're not even in the same arena as some of these characters. So there's a moment in the game that does two things at the same time. You come out from the original level area, which is a village with some surrounding like brush and some creatures, some of them higher than your level because you start at like zero and there's some things that are like 13, 12. You're like, oh, okay, I can get there. And of course, at the beginning of the game, you're leveling pretty quickly. So by the time you leave that area, you have a pretty dominant grasp of it. But the, the next level you get is a pathway to the third level. And the third level is a Breath of the Wild moment. You know, remember when Link comes out of the time coffin or whatever? Yeah. And he comes out onto that ridge and that whole game kicks off with that moment where you wake up and you see Ganon in the distance. You see the volcano. You see, you see the big bird and all that stuff. That big of a moment happens in Xenoblade again when you come onto this place in the Bionis leg. If you've never played the game, I don't want to spoil too much of it for you, but essentially you are considered a member, you're a, a human being who lives on a giant being. That's they call it the Bionis. They call it the Bionis. Yeah. So you come out onto a section of the being called the Bionis leg, and it's massive. It's one of those jaw-dropping, you come out on it and it just sprawls out before you. And then there in the distance less than 30 seconds into that level, you see the highest creature you've seen up until that point, a level 80. And depending on where you are in the game, this could be your level 15, your level 20, who knows, doesn't matter. This thing is a level 80 and it towers, you know, 25 meters in the air relative to your character. And it's just daunting. Yeah. And you got to stay out of its line of sight or it will come after you. It is just, it's one of those it's that moment that like a cat has when it sees a big dog and the hair stands up on the back of its neck. You have the same response. Awe. Just incredible. Like, whoa. Yeah. So that, that was my moment because it, it literally like made me palpitate. I was like, ah. So it that's was when it does something, Xenoblade, that I think very, very few games do. And it shows you 
where you are in respect to the world around yes. you. Like it puts you in your place. Yes. In a fantastic way. Like a yes. very awe, like you said, awe inspiring way. At the same time that you have that opening up moment mm-hmm. where you see this giant field for the first time and you realize, okay, this is a really awesome world. Because up until then you only have like you have the mid or the first cutscene, right? Where either they have that battle and you're not really sure what's going on. And then yeah, you're just stuck into in the village. But then you go out on this quest the world just opens up and you're like, I am not a big fish in a small pond anymore. Yeah. I am a small fish in a very large in a, pond. In a very large and pond, yes. Big King Kong over there yep. is yep. going to put me in my place if I go near him. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a game in which you grind away and I I, I don't dislike the grind. We'll talk about this more when we talk about the podcast itself, but I don't dislike the grind in this game. That sometimes I dislike in other games. Sometimes the grind is exhausting. 100%. Uh, some even notorious um, series and whatever else have that problem. They're just like, they force you to get to a certain level before you can even attempt. But when they make you, they force you to do that, they don't make the grind enjoyable. So that's one of the things that I like about this game. But I just knew seeing that big old monster, I was like, I'll get there eventually. And that was <laughs> yeah. a cool feeling. Yeah, exactly. Like that. That's the other part of it that I think is yeah. really cool. My honorable mention for best moment, so my friend Nathan has been, he's the one who turned me on to this, really excited about the Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, that was yeah. coming out. The next-gen consoles are known for the graphics update, for just how lifelike everything looks. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me, you can put in your own coordinates and it uses Google Map data and fly over your house yeah. in the flight simulator. So that that's a cool moment. I was hanging out with him, and we did that. We flew over my house. We flew over his house. It was a dope time. So and um, it's like simulator to the max, right? Like yes. you are like pulling off all the specific controls you need to to fly, yep. and everything is hyper detailed. Yep. Like it is not necessarily a video game with like a story or a finite world. It's like literally like we are simulating flight for you. In yes, the most realistic way we can. I mean, so. and, and other moments too. It's it's surreal to fly over your own house because it connects you to in ten to fifteen years, probably maybe even sooner than that. We will have such comprehensive VR that reality will become virtual, absolutely, and virtual will become reality, and it will it will blur the lines between yeah. real and not real. And so it was a cool moment um, for a lot of reasons. And then that you know, just the flight simulator in general, you can go anywhere. Hong Kong, Bora Bora, fly over Is the it the ocean. whole world? Pretty sure it's the whole world. Wow. Uh, I, I I didn't really... Uh, North Korea? I think all of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all of it. Like as much as... There might be some restricted areas, obviously, if you don't... But I'm pretty sure, like for the most part, it's an unlimited... That's crazy. It's crazy. So it's really, really cool. So, yeah. You said that's next gen though? Or is it PS4 and Xbox One? Pretty sure it's like... Well, what was he playing on? The newest Xbox. The Series X? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so it probably is then. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I've heard a lot of interesting things. Can you land in it? I don't actually know. We didn't land. He kind of just had it set up. He had had it paused. Just land on your house? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think that. Um, just crash and explode. He didn't try to. Obviously, there's like, like landing and takeoff and all that stuff. But yeah. but uh, he didn't try to. But yeah, it was cool. He just showed me that moment. and uh, Yeah, that's a cool moment. It was dope. Sure. It was dope. So yeah. All right. So that is our best moment. The ashtray maze for me. Uh, the opening up onto the Bionis leg for Jared from Xenoblade Chronicles. The next award that we're going to be talking about here, I have entitled the most funner game award. <laughs> and the only reason I did is because there was a bit of a joke that happened with 
uh, me and my wife, where we I was trying to say, like, what do I explain? Like, what do I put as the, like, the game that I want to say is, like, the most just generically fun, you know, just, like, you had the best time with just on a gameplay side of it. And for some reason, she said most funner, and then she just was laughing about it. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's fine. Oh, you know, I totally forgot. I was going to actually include some of my wife's picks. I just quickly surveyed her on all of these awards. So putting this out there, her best moment award, this is my wife, Karina, who is going to be helping me co-host on my podcast, uh, the Red Pixel podcast, so you guys will get to know her there. But she said the best moment of 2020 for her was getting fauna and Animal Crossing, who's her favorite Animal Crossing villager. And then she also just said, you know what, all of Animal Crossing is just good moments. And so <laughs> it she, is. she couldn't think of anything else more specific than that, but that'll be best moment wrapped up there. Moving on to most funner, Jared, go ahead and start us out with your pick. So my one. my younger brothers, I'll do a, a 2020 version and a quick like previous version. My brothers, Gang Beasts is this game where you know you try to grab and throw people and you punch them and yet it's ridiculous, but it's so much fun. We laugh our heads off. My brothers are so much fun to play with, and so we play that together. Gang Beasts is a ton of fun, and then Fall Guys Knockout. So there's a so remember when Wipeout was a thing? Yeah, these dumb idiots trying to get hit. Are trying to get through this obstacle course and you'd watch them fall off and then there'd be that awkward like 20 minutes where they'd swim back to the starting point (laughs) and they cut to commercial breaks. You knew like, yeah, they they didn't make it there. My wife and I, uh, it popped up on Hulu at the end of last year and we just started watching season one. And it was very different because there was only one host. It was a British guy. Like Now they have two guys. Yeah. But at the same time, it was the exact same thing. Like, it was just, like, them jumping on the big balls and splashing into the water. And then, yeah, you'd watch them for, like, 20 minutes. I was yeah. like, this is just great. Like, yeah. And every episode is the exact same thing, but somehow they made a living off of this. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how it kept going because it's very, like, a it's a gimmick kind of thing. Like, 100%. It's really not something you can come back to for but your it's just moneymaker. it's funny but, watching these yeah. humans, like, trying to tackle these yes. <laughs> obstacles so yeah for and i would love to do that myself too i'd love to make a fool of myself right. playing that game yeah. or, or being in that show but um, totally oh man to have that opportunity one game that actually like does wipe out but video game version is fall guys knockout which is a 2020 release that's why i wanted to bring it up uh and it's like has the same like texture feel and look to it as gang beasts yeah. as far as like this is very similar and the whole concept is that you keep fighting with other competitors to try not to get knocked out and disqualified and all that stuff it's, it's like battle royale right yeah basically technically technically yeah it's a new take on it yep with an online obviously online platform and then uh it's very it's like wipeout for these characters so it's a lot of fun i figured i'd mention it very simple and then do you want me to do my honorable mention yeah yeah sure so uh josh and karina introduced lucy and i to overcooked which is this like if you ran a restaurant that only had to do three things to be successful <laughs> and you still stunk at them, that's that game. So the four of us played that game and Lucy refuses to play it again because it stressed her out so much. But Overcooked, you have to fight off the giant spaghetti monster and keep customers happy at the same time. It was just absolute bonkers uh, of a game. But Overcooked, uh, one and two are tons of fun for sure. Wild energy. Yes. Like, and you're crazy. just yelling at each other because yeah. you're all trying to coordinate. Karina, like, cut the lettuce! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't cook the meat too much! Yeah, exactly. Ridiculously fun. Fantastic games for sure. My pick for most funner is Hades. Man, you are really making me want to go purchase this game right now, dog. Dude, I cannot explain how perfect of a game this is. With like you, ju- it is one of those things you have to experience for yourself. But when it comes to the combat, especially like you get into a, a cadence with these weapons, and each of them are so distinct. 
but each of them have so much depth to them and you just get into a flow and you once you get through several stages and you don't heal like your health slowly gets chipped away over time so and that's how eventually you end up dying and going back right but you're like constantly finding minor improvements here there's so many different power-ups that come throughout it that keep you like incentivized and there are rooms where like you can buy a health pack or spend your money on something else. There's a bunch of just small moments like that that are going to define your run through and make each run through feel unique. But then on top of all of that, you just have this perfect gameplay of fighting your way through. And I love how contextualized it is. Like I love the narrative and that's something it's totally distinct from this category. Um, But that is what makes Hades above and beyond. So all of it is contextualized in this this god who's trying to fight his way through this impregnable, this place that isn't supposed to allow anyone out, obviously. And the gameplay just reflects that with these enemies getting harder and harder. Each level of Hades has different beings and spirits in it. And so at, in Tartarus, it's all the scum, it's all the monstrous creatures. But in Elysium, it's all the people who lived lives of glory and all the great Greek heroes and whatnot. And so you're facing a different type of thing at that point, but you're using these same tactics and tools and having to adapt them um, to fit whatever situation you're going against. And it's just so fast-paced. Like, you're flying across the map. I would say you have to invest in the double dodge so you can have either one dodge or two. (laughs) Now we're getting really technical. You need to have two, man. You need to have two. (laughs) You need to. Um, Josh is a double dodge advocate. (laughs) Double dodge only. (laughs) But, like, you, it's just, it's so fast and frenetic, and it looks like a mess. Like, I tried to show it to my wife just briefly, and she just like, no, like, I wouldn't be able to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> but once you're in it, yes. like, once you're actually doing it yourself and understand how all the different systems work and whatnot, you're going to have a blast. It keeps you on your toes. Every second could be your last. And But if you can continue to keep the ball rolling and staying on top of the slashing and the dodging and the making sure that you're utilizing whatever those boons are that the gods have given you to their fullest effect then you are going to progress and you're going to be challenged again with harder things, but you're going to get closer and closer to the end. And I regret to say I still haven't beaten the game. It has still pushed me back. Um, I've only reached that final boss twice. So gotten there briefly each time, both with the spear. The spear is my favorite weapon in the game. (laughs) Uh, Just want to put that out there. You're giving me Moonlighter vibes just slightly. I mean, Moonlighter's got a lot of roguelike elements in it, for sure. Go listen to that Moonlighter episode. We we enjoyed that game. I would say it definitely has, because it's not a dungeon that you're crawling through necessarily. Yeah, fair. Um, They are level tiers, but the... And and it is focused more on the combat than Moonlighter gotcha. is. Gotcha. Okay. Like Moonlighter is yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like each room you go into has a lot of different enemies and whatnot. Yeah. But you can quickly run out of it and stuff right. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hades is a little bit more pure in that way, I would sure. say. But fantastic, definitely the most fun I've had, and it and one of those games that like pushes you to just do one more run, and so you end up spending hours on it if you know you just feel the need to continue going forward, which I certainly did. Uh, made my flights over from California and Colorado like go like that because yeah. I was just so focused on trying to push through and the frenetic gameplay that comes along with it. And that's a game that's wrapped around this fantastic narrative on top of it. So 
absolutely fantastic. So, Josh, I see your honorable mention. I'm going to preemptively like claim that that's an honorable mention for the two of us. Because <laughs> okay. you introduced me to it, so tell, tell everyone about it. All right, so my honorable mentions for most funner, or most fun game... One's gotta go to Beat Saber. Yes. Which is what I'm assuming you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking <laughs> Not about. Not my yet. second. No. Of course, Beat Saber, well known. It's a rhythm game. It's really not anything more than that. It's Guitar Hero, but with lightsabers. Yep. So blocks come towards you. It's a VR game, so you got the headset on and you're slashing away at them, physically moving your arms up and down to take them out. It is so much fun. Mm-hmm. You can feel yourself getting better at it. Yep. I feel like I'm, the way I described it was like, I feel like I'm learning an instrument and all the nuances of an instrument without adding of the actual, like, real value. value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, there's actual yes. no productive like, <laughs> thing going on there. But it gives you that same feeling of like, yeah. oh, I'm getting better at this. I'm beginning to realize some of the cadence of it a little more, more of the patterns and whatnot of how the blocks yeah. come at you. And of course, the, the songs themselves are all a ton of fun. Yep. I got a gift card for the PlayStation Network on Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to spend it actually on just Beat Saber albums. So I like got all the DLC, I guess, for the game that you can call it. And I've been playing through those. And it's just so much fun. Like, it's just, you can't not have fun playing the game. Like, yeah. every single person I've shown it to, once it clicks, and it does take a second to click just sure. because it's VR. Like, you just got to get used to the way being immersed in it is... Um, and how that plays out but once it clicks like you you really it's hard not to enjoy yeah. and a perfect introduction to vr if you've never done it 100 percent. yeah i don't ever start anyone on any other game it doesn't have a whole, there's no motion so yep. like the menu's right in front of you you don't have yep. to be like moving through a world so that's something that really sets people off from sure. vr yeah i'd imagine if the world moves around you and you're not moving it yeah. just like makes people sick in the head sometimes so it doesn't do any of that it's just things coming at you and you slash at them. It's super simple and it works perfectly and better than it really should. Yeah. And you can watch YouTube videos of people who there's expert plus yep. is the highest level in the game. And you can actually increase the speed of that to a point where it is insane how fast it's going. It <laughs> reminds me of I went to Japan and they have arcades all over the place. And we walked into just like randomly. We were like walking down the streets of. Um, I think it was Asakusa was the specific district. And we left this like Walmart place that was like five floors. It was like, it was probably no bigger than uh, maybe like two of your apartment size. Gotcha. But it was like five floors of it. And so it was, and it was basically just Walmart. Like each floor had different, one was electronics, one was food and (laughs) so on and so forth. We left there, walked next door and went into this arcade and there was this Japanese guy on this rhythm arcade game. I don't even know how to explain it, but it was like this wheel that was in front of him. And he was like hitting these different buttons, like twisting them and stuff. And he was like going to town Dang. on this thing and like flying through. And we just like sat back and just stared for a little while. <laughs> a little awkward, but nonetheless, you can in Beat Saber, like get into that same Zen mode, yes. I would say, of just like madness flying through that this japanese guy was clearly experiencing (laughs) in this arcade so yeah beat saber for sure an honorable mention there the other one just briefly would be pikmin 3 if you have never played a pikmin game you've got to play pikmin 3 deluxe for the switch you just have to pick this game up they are so fun so charming the strategy that comes into it is surprising how in-depth it is you're in charge of this legion of little pikmin and you send them across the map to go do various tasks. But it's all 
very direct and you're you're actually physically moving the controller and stuff it's not like a computer strategy game you know where you're maybe in something like league of legends where you're kind of like watching over them and sending them out no your character avatar is there physically and making sure things they're all being taken care of and it's just so cute and also terrifying because you see all these beautiful <laughs> little pikmin get munched by oh, some <laughs> monstrous creature and you're like no um and so they're fantastic games. I think Pikmin 3 Deluxe has been the highest selling Pikmin game in the franchise. So I'm very excited because that means that hopefully we'll get another one down the line. And they're they're just so much fun. They're super unique. There's no other video game like them. And so definitely one of the best games as well on the fun side of category that I had this year. And that's our most funner. So for me, Hades, for Jared, Fall Guys... Moving on to, actually, I keep forgetting, um, my wife would, for her most funner pick, have chosen Animal Crossing, New Horizons, so putting that out there. She's gonna... really good at it, you know, it makes sense, yeah. <laughs> she like If you've never seen a Karina Island, they're very well done, so yeah. she, she puts a lot of time into it, and it looks great. She's put a lot of time into that game. <laughs> uh, it, it became her life in Lucy's April and May, yeah. so she really, like, no other 2020 game stands a candle to that one, so... That being said, let's move on to our third award here. Worst game experience. So changing the tone here just a little bit, Jared. Let's talk about something that maybe wasn't too exciting yeah. for either of us here. And you know, it depends. Each person has a different take on games. Yeah. One person's trash is another's treasure, you know? True. So uh, with that said, this is subjective. It's not going to necessarily fit with everyone's views especially a couple of the things i said i'll go ahead and start go ahead um and i don't have a whole lot to say about this i just want to bring up a moment that happened that i probably would have talked about if we were just recording over the fall gotcha and that was the fact that i looking forward to call of duty black ops cold war coming out this year i love me some call of duty oh yeah i was in the midst of you know classes rehearsing for a play teaching and working and just busy and it was something i was jealous in my wife of having which was this game that at the end of the day she could just chill and play online with some friends and she plays apex mm -hmm. and so i was like call of duty is going to be that for me yes like, i'm going to make call of duty that thing where just i'll just put in an hour at the end of the night and just chill and kill some people and <laughs> and have a good time good stuff <laughs> yeah family fun for the whole family and that's, what's, that's what Call of Duty's always been to me. And so I was looking forward to it. I like the Black Ops series in general. So I bought it, 60 bucks, the day the weekend it came out or whatever. Got it installed on my system and everything. And I booted it up on my PS4. And the Call of Duty online services, it like it goes through like the introduction of you know Activision, Raven games, and then it gets to the, like the main menu. But before it'll let you click through the main menu it starts to upload the Call of Duty online services. And I'm just watching this bar and it's saying connecting. And it's just this little green bar like moving like this back and forth. And I'm thinking like, okay. And so I'm sitting there. A minute passes. I'm like, okay, it's kind of taking a long time to connect. And so I kind of looked down at my phone. was playing on my phone. Looked back up five minutes later. Still connecting. And oh, I was geez. like, that is not a good sign. Yeah, that's not good. So I backed out. Tried to go back through the game. Same thing. Just kept showing this connecting thing. I wouldn't let me get to a main menu. I couldn't even get to the point where I could see the single player. Like, yeah. And so I like ended up going into it 
without my Wi-Fi on, and it let me get to the main menu after that. It said, like, cannot connect. But I've come to find out, basically, the way my Wi-Fi works in my house, I, for some reason, the Call of Duty servers won't connect through that particular Wi-Fi setup. And so it won't let me play online. Jeez. And so at home, unless I'm using my data, unless I turn on my own hotspot, Mm -hmm. I can't play Call of Duty. And so that was for sure the worst experience of my my year this year. I was so infuriated because I just spent the money on it. I sat down that weekend ready to go. You know, I had my Mountain Dew. I had my Doritos. <laughs> Doritos yeah, yes. 100%. That's dude. funny. That was the vibe I was going for that weekend. <laughs> I sat down and I couldn't do it. Jeez. And it wasn't necessarily the fault of my system or the game, I guess. It was the fault of my stupid Wi-Fi situation, yeah. Yeah. which I can't fix. Yeah. And so I'm just like, Ugh. I was so infuriated. So I ended up using my data that weekend to play it just a little bit, and it was fun. But that just ruined, like, it just put yeah. a bad taste in my mouth after that. Honorable mentions for me would be um, playing through Hollow Knight, which I did not enjoy as much as I thought I was going to. If you look up anything on Hollow Knight, it will be all sorts of praise yeah. about this well-revered Metroidvania. It's supposed to be like peak. Very lauded game. Which I love. I love Metroidvanias, but I found it very vague. I found it very obtuse. I enjoyed it um, up until I would hit a wall and then I would spend an hour trying to figure out what to do next. And I guess I could look that up, but it didn't seem like that was like necessarily within the vibe of the game. And that ended up happening multiple times. And I just hate aimlessly exploring in games like that. And it seems like that's a huge part of Hollow Knight. Yeah. So that was a bit of a disappointment. And then the other thing I want to bring up in Xenoblade Chronicles, (laughs) the boss fight, specifically the, I think it's the second one with the character Zord, drove me nutso. Oh my goodness. I, you have to use a specific tactic. I couldn't pull it off. Just was not physically able to. I watched, I stopped after a little bit, watched like three YouTube videos on the thing, figured out how you're supposed to do it. And for some, like, I just was not in the correct situation. My character didn't have the proper amount of this particular meter to pull it off in the amount of time. And I just kept dying and I was so mad. And I was (laughs) trying so hard not to move down to casual mode. And it kept suggesting it to me. And I think I played through this thing 25 times, like just trying to, and it kept saying like, you want to drop it to casual mode? And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Do you want to be a weed, Josh? (laughs) basically. (laughs) And I was so frustrated. And then I finally just dropped to the casual mode and got past the boss. And I was not happy about that. So also a bad game experience yes. this year. But that's me. Well, you know, I couple a couple of notes. I think we were both a little disappointed by the two games that we did not. Well, I think one we did. But like Nino Kuni started to get annoying. Just the way that you had to fight some of the bosses, I felt difficult and kind of tedious really was the word petition to remove nino kuni from the hall of games <clears throat> oh, should i should i do i dare go through that legislation process oh there's so many extra things tacked onto that bill too no but the but the little political frustration there sorry the no but nino kuni was a little bit of a disappointment and okami was an even bigger disappointment something sure. about okami like especially the story mode and the way the words lay out like animalese and animal crossing is difficult enough mm-hmm. you know, to deal with sometimes it's annoying but Okami was was that for me. But I guess my my worst moment was trying to play Star Wars Two, not the remake of the year, definitely not. I, I not even remake. I guess it was launched for the Switch. I just did not enjoy it. Maybe motion sick. It was old. It was gross. It was ugly looking. 
did not enjoy that at all. But mm. yeah, we did a whole section on that. When not that too happened. many worse moments other than that. Jedi Outcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an old game. I think it's a PlayStation 1 game, and it is wonky. It still looks as, like it, too. Oh, yeah, as all get out. So, <laughs> and, like, when you're in the first-person mode, it, like, it feels like you're playing a drunk person. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, not it's just, good. It does not work well. It's not good. So, good moment. We talked about that. We did. Um, yeah. For just a little bit, because you have a motion sickness issue. Yep. So, for sure, a bad game experience. For Karina, throwing hers in here as we wrap up. Uh, she said Apex on the weekends because all the good people are out of work and they're playing <laughs> and she gets so fed up. She'll just be sitting there yelling at these people um, and her her squad mates are always bad and her you know, in her mind. Um, and so she's always complaining about that. And she says weekends are the worst to play. And so she said that would be the worst game experience for her this year. So for me, Black Ops not working for Jared. Jedi Outcast uh, and the motion sickness that came along with that and then for Karina and Apex. That is our worst game experience. And honorable mention, Cyberpunk. Yes. We could bring up briefly here. Yeah. It was a bad game experience this year. Like something we definitely need to point out. I played it for an hour and a half. I didn't get super far into it before I switched that sucker out for... I refunded myself or they refunded me and I got Immortals instead. But that's certainly one that you could put yeah. in there as a worst game experience for 2020. We wanted to acknowledge, uh, I asked Josh if he wanted to mention it, because for a lot of people that would probably be something that was so hyped that it did turn into their worst yeah. game experience 100%. because of that. The, one, the letdown. One tweet was like, I saw someone say like, what am I supposed to do? Like, my whole life was leading up to this moment. And, <laughs> this such a and this was supposed to be like Gen Z this revolutionary <laughs> experience that was supposed to change gaming. And instead yeah. I was. get this this trash yep. you know this uh crap fest yep that was you know super disappointing for all the people who had been hyped up at that point so yeah worst game experience cyberpunk honorable mention top story award top story jared let's get through this one then let's take a bit of a break because okay. i have to use the restroom that's totally fine all right so top story here jared go ahead and start us off what is so, your choice so so it was a really tough toss-up um top story award so xenoblade here's here's why I, it chose between the two of them it was a toss-up xenoblade chronicles has an excellent story excellent excellent story but if i'm being honest the the setup to it did not lead to anything i wasn't expecting so that's that's why I'm going to give Immortals okay. Phoenix Rising. Does that make sense? Immortals yeah. Phoenix Rising the edge here because when I jumped into Immortals Phoenix Rising the story was oh it's Greek. All right, whatever. Yeah. And then the rug like we mentioned, it just totally different, a vibe totally different feel. It surprised me in a lot of different ways and I feel like the the story that I've played so far, I haven't finished the game, that that I've played so far has been immensely enjoyable. So, you know, a different take on the Greek gods and a much more fun vibe. So for top story for me, I'm going to give it to Immortals Phoenix Rising. And funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. You said it's it hilarious. made you laugh out loud. It literally did. That's hard to do for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree with Xenoblade. I mean, it also, Xenoblade has like the, uh, I don't know, just Japanese dub goofiness. It does, yeah. The, the voice it. work sometimes is a little cringy. And they say Monado, like, the Monado. way too much. <laughs> and it's done, it's done by British people, too. So it's like... <laughs> I don't know. It just it's, it sometimes it, it doesn't have a the best connection. I'll say. Yeah. Side note about Immortals too. I I think it just gets better. They really just give you a really cool take on Greek myth. Yep. 
Um, so like that's fun as well. And they just do a really great job. And it's surprising too, because it doesn't seem like it's going to be an interesting story at all. So yeah, the way it was marketed too, is yeah. just like, Hey, fight some gods and it'll be fun. Yeah. And it's, it's just a lot more than that. It, the game has some substance to it. And it 100%. really, definitely for story. I really, really enjoy the story. That's a great way to put it. Lots of substance there that you wouldn't expect. For me, my top story award for 2020, as far as my personal experiences, again, that's that's what I'm going off of here, would have to go to Wolfenstein 2. I already talked about one of those moments from the story, so I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of it. But it's alternate history. Nazis have taken over the globe. And so you're in Nazi-controlled America, and you're trying to move through it. It's tied directly to the events of the game before at Wolfenstein and what happens up to that point. And they go in some crazy bonkers directions by the three-quarter mark of the game you're on venus auditioning for a role as yourself so like he basically is playing the kill the nazi killer in a nazi movie and he it's himself and you go and you audition in front of adolf hitler on venus like it's just like this crazy (laughs) bizarre story it just goes in all sorts of weird ways and um yeah so definitely the best story of the year honorable mentions for me would go to Ghost of Tsushima, which has a really surprisingly good story. When that game started, I was not interested in the way that it was set up. I thought it was a little straightforward and and bland, to be honest. And by the end, I was not in tears, but just moved emotionally. The last moment of the game really stood out to me from a narrative perspective. And just, it paid off in a way I was not expecting that story to pay off at all. So honorable mention there, as well as to Assassin's Creed Origins, which was, I went back and listened to our episodes. In one of our default segments, I brought up what my goatee of the year, I think it was in June, was up until that point. And at that point, it was Assassin's Creed for me. Yeah, it is not anymore. (laughs) I've played other games that I think are more worthy of that title up to this point. But a big reason why was the story of it. I really liked the revenge narrative that was being told. The main character's son gets killed at the start of the game and you don't have a relationship with him. But through flashbacks, you begin to just have this deeper connection to his son um, and you just feel this drive, this anger. And it plays out in very satisfying ways as you move along. Also, it's tied to Julius Caesar and Cleopatra and the Romans moving into Egypt. And so for me, just as a history buff, I really enjoyed those aspects of it as well. So good story there but have to give the nod to wolfenstein 2 for the next award here um we'll go ahead and jump into that once we take a bit of a break oh i keep forgetting karina (laughs) says her top story award goes to infamous second son which she watched me play through really awesome superhero lighthearted story um, that has a bit of an emotional gut punch at the end that i think stuck with her specifically in that regard won't spoil it, but good game. Came out in 2014. Definitely worth a playthrough. Very short and uh, tons of fun as you play through it. But her top story award would go to that. But with that said, let's go ahead and take a break. And then we will jump back into the podcast. All right. We are back here with you guys. Let's go ahead and continue on with our game of the year awards. Next award here, our fifth award, is our favorite character of the year. I thought this would be an interesting, different award to give out, kind of a different perspective on games. Uh, You don't necessarily think of video games as like a huge... I mean, there are like 
iconic characters, but not sure. necessarily deep characters Correct, per yeah. se. Nonetheless, there are some that can truly stand out throughout the year. So based on that, Jared, who is your favorite character? So my favorite character would be Dunban from Xenoblade Chronicles. So there's this interesting idea that I'm kind of obsessed with lately, and it's the idea of humility. And it's such a crucial concept. I think, just to put it quickly, the virtue of all virtues should be humility. Like some people, oh, patience is a virtue. But if you're really aiming for something, it really should be humility. Sure. Total tangent. Sorry about that. Well, a lot of people say pride is like the base... Yes. Like the original, not original sin, but like the one where most spring from. So humility being the... Completely agree with that theory. That's the one that I hold that theory to be true. So Dunban is the definition of someone who recognizes that he cannot be the main character. Hmm. And that's very rare. It's something you see more in Japanese, especially in anime. You see a lot of supporting casts that are very self-aware. They don't have that American, I'll say Western ego that says i have to be the main character i have to be the big leader so i really like dunban because i've never seen a character in a video game handle not being the main character with such class dunban does it in an exceptional way the dialogue in the game his is just well thought out and well done that makes him my favorite character xenoblade chronicles dunban very like graceful when he like transitions on and almost like yep holds no ill will exactly in fact is like excited about the opportunity for Shulk to take over. Yes, that's exactly right. My favorite character has got to go to, just from what I played this year, Trace from Axiom Verge. A great choice. Awesome choice. We talked about Axiom Verge. You can go listen to our episode on that earlier this year. Uh, So not going to get into all the details here, but Trace really was a standout character for me this year because I didn't see how fleshed out the story actually is around him. The last time I played through the game, I stopped midway through. And so there are some late game revelations about him and how he ties into this alternate world that's happening uh, that he got pulled into. And this war that occurred around this other character, Athetos. um, And it turns out that Trace and Athetos are one and the same. And just how that plays out, the surprise that Trace has, the fact that he is an everyman character who falls into this fateful situation um, and that he ends up carrying out that fate in a very, you could say tragic, but I would just say interesting way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed that aspect of him. And I did not realize how full circle the game came um, until I ended up playing through it again yeah. this year. So Trace for sure would be my pick. Honorable mentions would be Jin from Ghost of Tsushima. I enjoyed that character. And of course, Zagreus from Hades. Literally, you could put any character from Hades in this category. They're all so well explained and understood and they get deeper and deeper the more you get to know them. They're all so interesting and just great takes on Greek mythology. We talked about that with Immortals, but same thing with Hades. Yeah. And just incredibly well written. Crazily well written. I mentioned how in Bastion the narrator would be talking throughout the whole game. In Hades, it's just Zagreus talking through. He's just kind of like mumbling to himself as you're going through. And they do some really cool things and just minor moments with that um, in really great ways. So another great character as well. The sixth award here, so we are on award number six, would be our biggest surprise or our underdog is another way to explain this, award for this year. I'll go ahead and start with a little game called Inmost. Wow, was I surprised by this game. It's like two and a half, three hours long. It's this pixel 
2D, you could say <laughs> platformer, I guess, but it looks very simple. It it blends in with all of the other trash games that are on the eShop on the Switch. <laughs> yeah. There are like 30 to 100 games yes. released every week. It's hard to tell which is quality and which is trash. Exactly. And so I heard about Inmost just tertiary on another podcast actually they one of the hosts brought it up as a a bit of a surprise to him so i was like okay i'll go check it out it was on sale at the time so i picked it up played through it in an afternoon did not realize it was going to be that short but was enthralled the entire time Um, it's three different characters that are struggling with different aspects of basically suffering and loss and pain and how you deal with that and it's very dark it's very tragic. The world itself is foreboding and difficult and terrifying and like what's lurking in the shadows. And it goes to some really dark places. Yeah. Um, it's the only word I can think of to explain it. But just it takes some concepts that you wouldn't expect a, what looks like a lighthearted 2D game and turns them on their head and, and makes you question the reality of what's going on. And then also your role in pushing that forward and it deals with mental illness and family relationships and ties and it just tells i don't think it gives a definitive message i'd say that's my biggest drawback from the game is that it kind of leaves it up to you and your interpretation of it but it is trying to say some things about pain and loss and i think it does so in some incredibly great ways Um, and it's a fun game to boot one of the characters is a slashing like knight. So you're just like blazing through your fast platforming, think like Super Meat Boy, and you're just hacking and slashing through all these characters. The other character is like a puzzle solving guy who's stuck in this dungeon like castle. And so you're like pushing boxes, you're avoiding giant spiders, and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, lower bridges and things along those lines and meeting characters along the way. And then the last character has very little gameplay surrounding her. It's this young child who is stuck in her home with her father and her mother. And there's some just twisted things going on in the background. So you're, it, that is a bit of a point and click, I would say, is the type of genre that that... In- character goes through Um, but they all kind of interweave you end up realizing that uh, they're all kind of allegories of the same thing and uh, the characters are also connected in ways that you don't realize until the very end of the game so very good very big surprise for sure for Mm -hmm. me in most one of those games you're not going to hear a whole lot about to be honest anywhere it flew under the radar hardcore. So it'll definitely be one that I don't think is going to get a whole lot of recognition anywhere else. And so I want to recognize it here. As far as other surprises, Blasphemous is a great game. Think Metroidvania slash Dark Souls um, on a 2D spectrum. Really great. I haven't played a whole lot of it. I never finished it, uh, but I would love to. And then Immortals Phoenix Rising Mm -hmm. was a big surprise for me. Was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Or, I think, like you said, for it to be as substantial as it was. Yeah, it's one of my... Uh, uh, I didn't mention it here, but it's one of my underdog picks as well because it just took me off guard. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to that game. Yep. Uh, my, as far as my biggest surprise in underdog awards, I have to give this to a couple of games. I'm going to mention one in, one in particular, but they're all roughly the same. I have to mention them. Abzu, which is a the underwater free diving game I did not expect to enjoy as much as I did. Very simple, not advertised at all. I just saw it and thought it looked pretty. That's me. I'm like a fish. Uh, oh, shiny. Um, 
so uh, Abzu was really good. Air Memories of Old was a very simple playthrough that I really enjoyed. Uh, Air Memories of Old. Yeah, you fly as like a bird person. And you okay. have to like unlock a lot of floating islands in the sky. It's kind of like on Switch. Yep, oh. it was one of those uh, Black Friday deals that like brought okay. the price of the game down to like one dollar and eighty nine cents. And uh, so I grabbed that one. Really enjoyed that. A E R all capital letters. Memories okay. of old. Really enjoyed that. And then also this game called Oh no no, no. Gree, capital G capital yes. R lowercase I capital S. I played Gree. Yeah. yeah, interesting game. Lots of. I don't know, it's just pretty. I liked it. And the puzzles and very pleasing, and interesting vibe that it gives you. Simple. Yeah, very simple, but uh, lots of indie games surprised me. And then yeah. to top it all off, uh, Snow Runner, which is a, here's the whole thing. You pull cars, you tow them out of it. It's like Ice Road Truckers okay. video game style. <laughs> so let me tell you about a little story and why this is my biggest surprise in Underdog Award. It doesn't sound that exciting. I know, right? So you. <laughs> so when I was younger, I thought it would be the coolest thing to have a video game called Construction Destruction, uh, which is like you're able to build buildings and then a fully realistic simulation of knocking them down. Okay. So it has an architecture component that you really is like Sims level or better. Huh. Uh, and then the whole thing like Wrecking Ball, knock them down, like skyscraper, ruin your whole city. Like I wanted a full like, what would happen if you knock down the Empire State Building um, kind of a video game. This game almost like brings me back to that childhood nostalgia all you're doing is pulling cars out of like pits and and, like mud traps and you're taking deliveries across snow-capped mountains and you have to drive this semi across these paths that are like difficult to get around and it seems like i don't know that's basically the whole game but it's it's a ton of fun and it's a really cool game uh and would highly recommend it is that like 3d yeah okay yeah so yeah, 3D, full... Is like it a first dr- person? It's a driving simulator. I think it's it depends. You can do from the third person view okay. or in the cabin of okay. like the car, but you have to like get certain cars and put the tires on them like, that are snow tires and all that different stuff yeah. to, like, to pull this thing out of the mud or whatever else, pull this tractor out of the mud. So, Interesting. Yeah, underdog for sure, but yeah, ton of fun. And then Karina has... What is this here? She So for her biggest surprise would be Guacamelee 2. Great games. So that was her pick. Those are some very highly stylized, Mexican-inspired uh, beat-em-up slash I love it. platformer slash Metroidvania games with tons of charm. I love it. We played through the original Guacamelee last year together when we were first like newlywed couples. And so we loved that experience. Really fun just co-op game experience. And Guacamelee 2, she thought, wasn't going to be anything exciting just because we already played the first one. But she ended up really enjoying that as well. Highly recommend it for sure. And that was the biggest surprise that she mentioned for this year. So, Before we get to our Game of the Year picks, I have a bit of a unique award here. <laughs> One that you are not going to hear on any other podcast or forbidden. podcast service. It is forbidden. And that is the most woke award <laughs> of 2020. Now, I do want to just preface this by saying that i don't really care for the term woke i don't i i mean it's just straightforward as to what it means you know like you're going to get a specific idea specific ideology from it yeah which is why i use it here but nonetheless i think the gaming industry is moving unfortunately more and more towards wokeness wokeism I think it's getting to that point where that sort of messaging, those sorts of ideas are what are being not only pushed, but accepted and 
even on the developer side of things, um, initiating game development. And And Josh and I might not mention this, except that we probably both feel that it's taking away from production. It's being a stumbling block as opposed to a, like a solid, good core part of the game yeah. because that's the issue. It's like, can I get a red pill, please? You know, something. It's just, it's too much at times. So the way I explain like my annoyance with woke culture is the way I explain that feeling of having just an independent, fundamental Baptist church basically like shove down your throat. Yeah, their beliefs. Like it's the exact same thing, but from the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. And I just don't like that. Like, if you want to explain to me the love of Christ, do it in a loving way. Yeah. Like, don't do it in a cold, legalistic, annoying, black and white way, because that's not the way that God works, I don't think. And that's not the way that Christ wanted to be, have his love shown. That's, of course, a tangent nonetheless. But I think that, like, just to explain this a little bit, we're getting to the point in video games, unfortunately, in movies, too, and in our culture at large, where you have these this messaging that's being just shoved down your throat. Yeah. And I don't appreciate it from either side. Yeah. Um, But with that said, most woke award here for me has got to go to The Last of Us Part 2. Jared and I talked a little bit about this when he went and picked me up before we went and recorded this podcast. And this is an in-person podcast. Jared and I are still here together, which you will soon be leaving, which means it's going to go back to a remote podcast, unfortunately. Sad days. Sad days. But that's something that'll be happening in the future. We were talking, though, on the way over, and he just brought up Last of Us, the story, the narrative, and everything that's going on within it. Um, And it is a... It's a powerful game. Like, it is an emotional game. It will rock you to your core. It's meant to make you uncomfortable. It's meant to have its own particular take on specific issues And it deals with the consequences of the first game in a way that the Last of Us world would have dealt with them. And that's not going to jive with everyone. It's a dark tale with a lot of difficult things that you have to play through. Like you yourself as the gamer have to make them happen. And that is a difficult experience indeed. And it's all wrapped in the most beautiful, most realistic most polished experience you will ever have in the last of us but i just could not stand jared i could not stand how much of the uh, world view you could say of the woke was just not only presented as background truth but was beginning to try and push the idea of this is okay this is good in fact if you don't agree with this that's wrong mm-hmm. there's one particular character that's introduced a little past the halfway point in the game it's a young child, uh, a young girl who is trans, who decides that she wants to be a boy. And when she or he, um, I'm going to say she, decides to basically shave her head and become a boy, start to wear boy clothes, the cult that she's a part of throws her out and then begins to hunt her and her sister. And so your character come, comes across them and your character, one of the other characters that you play, Abby, is in the category of it could be trans. Like there's this large buff female character who at one point in the narrative you like have to watch like get sexually taken from behind in a really like awkward love scene. It wasn't a, a rape scene, but it was just 
I just want to tear my eyeballs out while yeah. I'm watching it. I was like, ah, I don't want to watch this. So, like, there's already that kind of happening where it's, like, it's a background thing. Like, could be trans, couldn't be. Like, right. we're not going to push it. Right. But then you have this other character who is pushing it. Yeah. And you're supposed to feel sympathetic for, and you're, you're supposed to be caring for because they're cast out. And they're, like, this whole allegor- allegory for, of course, what's what they would say is happening in our world where trans people aren't accepted by society or cast out. And so it was just that whole idea of it that was unnecessary it doesn't add anything to the story right right. it doesn't have anything to do with that world or with the characters that we knew beforehand um and it doesn't pay itself off at all to spoil it at the end of the day the um sister ends up getting killed and the little child ends up the younger sister the one who is trans ends up getting captured and tortured and like nothing ends up happening from it like there's not any redemptive arc for that character and the whole game there's not any redemptive arc at all but it was it was annoying for me just because i felt like it was unnecessary and didn't add anything to it but it you know i guess if that's something that you you want to push for messaging that's fine but as far as I'm concerned, the fact that you're even trying to push it as hard as you were in a way that I don't think aids to the story at all, you get to be the most woke <laughs> from this yeah. year yeah. because of that. And that's not like to deal with the fact that like the main character you play as is a lesbian. You play as throughout the entire game, two women throughout the game. Um, again, these things that would be 10 years ago have seemed incredibly weird and strange. Right, people, right. Which I don't think is a bad thing. I'm not saying that's bad at all. I think having those different viewpoints and different characters or as your main character i think that's a good progression in yeah. my mind but all of that would be considered woke i guess you could say it's very much on the progressive side of things so that's not to say anything about any of that and it's all tied up in this really downer story <laughs> that i don't think has anything to say that would be my final consensus on the game itself I don't think it has any particular message other than that the world sucks and that we're all stuck in it. Yeah. And that's a bummer because I think the last game had a good message with a foreboding conclusion. It had a difficult decision that happens at the end that you have to fight through and that you see the ramifications of going into Last of Us Part 2. But other than seeing that part of it, like the conclusion of the first game, the rest of the game doesn't it's not doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't tell you anything. And it ends kind of without any sort of, I don't know, satisfaction. It's just right. an empty feeling at the end of it. So right. that's a, why I don't think I've mentioned Last of Us very much in any of these awards coming up to this point, And also why I think it deserves most woke from this year. Uh, quick honorable mentions, Cyberpunk with its late stage capitalistic dystopian world, of course, pretty woke um, <laughs> and you get to pick your genitals and your gender or your sex and then those can be separate things that sort of stuff and then animal crossing i don't remember why i wrote this down uh, i think it's because of the fact that they have holidays in it but they don't call it by the traditional holiday name like easter was bunny day oh yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then christmas was something else Snow. toy day toy, toy day. day yeah and yeah. it's like okay fine like whatever uh but you, they were definitely pulling and they're eastern company so I can't necessarily say a whole lot about that otherwise. And then there were a couple of political controversies that happened within the game. Chinese controversies as well as American controversies. So in that way, you could say that some wokeism crept in as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, those would be my honorable mentions. But Last of Us taking the cake. 
Yeah, and I think Karina agrees with you, doesn't she? On the game, yeah, the her work, pick the most woke award. Yeah. When I asked what she thought for most woke, she said Last of Us. Ew. Yeah. yeah. She watched me play through it, so yeah. she was very interested in the original game, and so she wanted to see how this one played out. And yeah, it was disappointing for us both. Yeah, so. right on. So for me, the most woke award uh, goes to, uh, and I had heard about Last of Us. I've never played it. Uh, it's not really my vibe, for one thing. But um, Watch Dogs Legion, which is essentially the British version of Grand Theft Auto, uh, <laughs> and you know, you take take the world by storm, anarchy, yay. No, I, the reason I bring up uh, Watch Dogs Legion is because they fired one of their, their staff members because of her controversial comments on transgenderism. But here's the thing. It's one of those cancel situations because yeah. she was on the political left. And then the whole game, too, like the producers are very openly anti-Brexit. So, it, you know, a uh, game takes place in London. But I just, I, don't, I just don't think that stuff is necessary. Like, I, you know, this is a leisure activity. I feel the same way about sports, you know, take it out, take it, you know, take it, take it out of the game, just do the game, say what you need to say within the game, within the narrative context, but all this extra surplus stuff is, I don't know, I think an abuse of the platform, so that's why I mentioned that, Watch Dogs Legions. I would agree. Yeah. They, uh, they didn't do a whole lot with the premise either, from what I understand. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, it's It's just, just, which is pandering. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. Yep. But. Unless real life had more to say about a lot of locust things, especially this last week. Yeah, um, for real. <laughs> than Watch Dogs did. All right. So those are our other awards. Now to talk about our game of the year. For this particular award, Jared and I are going to stick with 2020 games. Yes. So unlike our other awards, we will uh, limit this one. My pick game of the year um and this is personal we'll have a show pick after this but my personal pick i thought about this a lot i've played a lot of like fantastic games ones that appealed to me in more ways than one i really have played some perfect games hades immediately comes to mind and i've played a lot of games that i you know didn't necessarily agree with last of us but that were fantastic video games But when it comes down to it, when I'm thinking of my personal game of the year and the one that I think really just hit the nail on several different fronts and that surprised me, that fulfilled my gaming desires at the time, and that did a whole lot of really cool things that I just was not expecting from it. And it's from a developer that I love very deeply. And that is Ghost of Tsushima. That would be my pick for sure it's beautiful it's the assassin's creed set in japan that you always wanted but it's not assassin's creed in the ways that assassin's creed is annoying it doesn't force its world on you you get this feeling of wonder as you explore this island off of the main coast of japan that really i think i've only felt in breath of the wild or at least that was the last game that i felt that in and that's hard to do you're just awestruck by different sections of the world, by the the side missions that you go through are true to that era. The fact that it is historical also super appeals to me. Um, the Mongolian invasion, can't deny that as well. And it starts off simple, it gets deeper, the characters grow. The actual premise of a samurai who has to break the samurai code 
and take on new tactics has surprising developments and ramifications for the character that just were awesome. And this game is so well detailed, is so fun, and everything in it is great. Like, even the side stuff. Like, you'll just come across a fox shrine, and there'll be a little fox there, and then you are supposed to follow him. And you just, like, follow him, and it's always fun to do. It's always like, oh, where is he going to take me? And then he (laughs) takes you around the corner, and you, like, pray at the shrine. Or you take a moment, and there's a, a hot springs, and you go, and you strip off your armor, and you just take a second and sit down in it, and then you reflect. And he just, Jin will reflect on something in his past. Or you'll sit down, and you'll look across the landscape, and he'll fold his arms, and then you'll write a haiku, which is something Samurai did, you know? And it's all just like these cultural elements are built into the things that you're doing on the map and the gameplay itself that are just so much fun. And that's nothing to say of the actual combat itself, which is either you can be ninja-like and stealth through, or you can face people directly. And there's a lot of interesting samurai-esque flair to it that really just no other game has done, I think, to this level and that has captured it as well as it has. So this game really just clicked with me. It became the open world game of this year for me, and I played several, including Immortals, including Assassin's Creed. I I just, for some reason, this particular world captured me in a way that those ones didn't. And I can't help but give it the nod at the end of the year. On top of that, they later down the line, a couple months later, added in a multiplayer that is amazing. Hmm. It's a raid-based multiplayer where you're just, with a couple buddies, you go in and you're just killing dudes. And from what I understand, it's I haven't played it very much since it launched. I played it briefly when it launched. It was surprisingly fun, but it's only gotten better. Mm. And they're starting to add stuff to it. It's like, that's its own separate thing that they didn't even add in the original product that has just pushed this game to greater heights than I would have ever expected for it. And uh, I love Sucker Punch. I was not looking forward to this game at all, to be perfectly honest. I love their previous series, Sly Cooper and Infamous. The Infamous series is one of my best and favorite series of all time. So I don't know why I didn't expect a whole lot from this. I think it just wasn't striking me in a lot of the trailers that I was watching. But playing through it was really just a testament to what video games can do that a trailer can't, that a movie can't and that a, that a book can't and capturing all those aspects in one giving it a, its own style that makes it stand out so much from every other video game i've ever played was just a feat in and of itself and i have to recognize it here as my game of the year hey that's fair i feel like that's a, a great answer i think what you're talking about is details and you can see the thought process behind the producers and the creators and like they wanted to make this a rich immersive experience they wanted to take you into that era and drop you off and let you explore and see what the world is like and i I can't disagree with your pick and i love the way you described it it was excellent so my pick for the year now this is difficult this is difficult i was talking with josh about this earlier because i have put so much time into xenoblade chronicles definitive edition i felt like just torn in my heart about what uh what should be my game of the year and i'll tell you why i didn't make xenoblade my game of the year so xenoblade of course was originally launched in 2010 and then remade earlier this year it came out or earlier last year in 2020 it came out i think in april i want to say april Uh, or 
somewhere May, around there. Yeah. yeah. And it was a it was a, a refitting and a remake for the Switch and it, excellent. Absolutely beautiful game. And I love so many things about that game. How big the world is and uh, the, the combat style was new to me and eventually I ended up love, falling in love with it and the story was so enrapturing. But I didn't feel like 2020 deserved a cop-out answer. I hmm. felt like there were so many good games in 2020 sure. that to, to slam... 2020 with like my game of the year pick being a remake 2010 didn't, game yeah. <laughs> didn't feel right you know okay. despite the upgrades and that this was a year of great remakes sure i didn't feel like that was right there were so many good games and i, I would have applied the same logic to tony hawk pro skater one and two to uh, a, a final fantasy remake same thing you're taking an older game now final fantasy maybe you could make the argument that like there's been so many changes to it that like it could be a brand new game if you want you know but I just didn't feel like Xenoblade, you know, made the cut because it was just a repackaging of an already great game to make it modern. That's how great it was. It was a it was a, a love letter to a classic instead of a here's our take on it. So it was it was it was different. So for that reason, I have to give the Game of the Year award happily to Immortals Phoenix Rising. Nice. As a cap off to a miserable 2020 year, and one in which, admittedly, I don't have access to a PlayStation. I have to live vicariously through Josh, right? Uh, I, I have to live vicariously through you. So I have to... Uh, you don't get to touch all of those yes. maybe blockbuster Yes, exactly, titles. exactly. Yeah. So I'm a little limited. I do, you know, give credit where credit is due, things that I hear even being on the on the Switch side of things. And even if I come over and like look at Josh's PlayStation, he slaps me in the wrist and says, no, <laughs> do not touch. That's not true. That's not true. I lied. He's been very generous. <laughs> But now I have to give it to Immortals Phoenix Rising for a couple of different reasons. Like one, purely compared to Breath of the Wild, I actually think that the texture package holds up. The way that they they overlay the game, the, 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 the leveling technique, the way you play it is more of a gaining of new abilities instead of um, a leveling up, I guess. But the stamina is similar. The, the open world concept, the climbing, the, the whatever else, they actually add another layer in Phoenix Immortals, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising. I keep flipping that. Dyslexic. You can actually dive underwater. In yeah. Breath of the Wild, that's that's a no-go. So yeah. there's a whole other layer there. It's something that you need to consider. The puzzles, in my mind, are more enjoyable than Breath of the Wild, which is a big component of the game. The leveling up part of Breath of the Wild is you have to do a lot of puzzles to gain more stamina, to gain more hearts, etc. Phoenix isn't like that. It's it separates itself. It's got a lot of the familiar components that you loved about Breath of the Wild, which I keep bringing it up because if you read anything about it, that's what it's compared to. You mostly. cannot talk about this game without yeah. talking about Breath of the yeah, Wild. Yeah, you can't deny the similarities for sure. So, But I feel like it stands on its own. And of course, we've already mentioned it, the script makes me happy, <laughs> to, to put it straightforward. Yeah. The way that it's presented to you, the way that you play as a female character, and that's very natural. It doesn't feel like woke. You can actually choose a dude at the beginning, but they start off like, this is Phoenix. She She's actually under the shadow of her brother, who is a known warrior. And she has to shine through. Yeah. If you've ever been a sibling who's had, a, had an older, you know, if you've ever been a kid who's had an older sibling, you automatically feel that pressure, especially if they have even mediocre success in their life. You yeah. feel that pressure. So I thought that it was way more compelling than it got credit for. Yeah. I feel like it was marketed really well. I feel like the, the way that they allow you to explore the world... The, some of the things that make them unique, like the whole Typhon, the the Tartarus, the cartoon feel to it, like they just stands on its own two legs and stands, in my mind, both 
excels in the story thing could easily be put in the story category could easily be put in the underdog category yeah could easily be put in the most fun character category like i had to stop myself from talking about it so that's my game of the year uh, i really feel like it slipped in the end there kind of like a you know, a racer that you really didn't see winning the kentucky derby slipped into the end past the finish line and i i have to give my game of the year to immortals phoenix rising a comfy game Comfortable in all the right ways. All and, the right ways. And new in all the right ways as well. Yeah. Very fresh. Surprisingly fresh. Surprising. Despite yeah. the fact that it wears its inspiration yes. on its sleeve. Yes, it does. It yeah. does. But despite that, it's its own thing. Uh, so great pick. I, I was folk like close to putting that one in there. Uh, with that said, our personal goaties are not going to be the official goatee for this podcast. So... Jared, pulling out away from our personal experiences and what we dove into this year, what do we think is the official game of the year, the game that most defines and that most exemplifies the gaming industry in 2020, the year that has passed? <sighs> Hindsight's 2020. It's tough. Um that is tough. I, you know, I, I kind of think that it should be Animal Crossing. Okay. So, well, we can start out with Animal Crossing. And, and for, I feel like for obvious reasons, that's why I bring it up. But I wanted to hear your thoughts as well. It's one that I think a game that came out at a time that could not be more perfect for it. Yes. You cannot have had a more perfect combination of circumstances yes then like it is going to i think for the foreseeable future remind and define what 2020 meant to so many people yes so 100 percent a candidate i have seen so many people say the game that got me through yeah and it's animal crossing yeah and it's a great game that's the best of the animal crossing series that's yes. an escape that's exactly what you want from a video game it's comforting it's accessible literally anyone can play it and understand it it has a great beginner you know 30 to 40 hour starting pace to it yes. that gets you into it explains everything so it doesn't overwhelm you and gets that that's hooks sunk into you mm -hmm. and it, yeah it's defined by a year that was plagued with plague with yes. pandemic and yes. forced everyone indoors and when the rest of the world was bleak you had this happy vacation style yep. island that you could build and make your own when the rest of your life was falling apart <laughs> and and one note just to, to to bolster that in previous animal crossing games some of those characters would get snippy with you <laughs> yeah and this game was pure positivity yeah pure positivity the whole way through and I, you know the please go listen to our uh, podcast episode about this game because we really cover it and it's a it was our love podcast for the game we really appreciated it yeah. when we played it and still do the way that they've ushered their own version of the holidays in like the whole thanksgiving thing the christmas thing even some extra added holidays that they do the way everything has been excellent they've really just rolled with the punches been prepared for everything their updates have always been clean never a problem with glitchiness or like having trouble uh well except when the online format but it's a little different with it's people, a little bit older with people visiting like that sometimes yeah it is and that is a bit of a, yeah for sure a bit of a pain in the butt but as far as like what you're trying to do and what they set out to accomplish, they nailed it and then kept staying relevant is really, was really impressive. To I me. didn't put 
nearly as many hours into Animal Crossing as you did, as Some my wife did, yeah. and I still put a lot of hours into it yeah. just because it's easy to get lost in that. World. Yes. So awesome pick. I would also just throw out there Hades. Yes. As a game, I would say it is as far as the roguelike genre is concerned. This game takes that genre to the next level in a way that a Skyrim took the open world to the next level, I think, for consoles, in a way that Super Mario Galaxy totally changed the way that people looked at 3D platforms. Yes. Like, Hades does that. Yes. From a narrative standpoint, from a perfect gameplay standpoint, but especially from the story. Like, man, I cannot speak enough about how involved I am with these characters. I started to, on Twitter, follow the Hades topic just because I wanted to see more art from it. I wanted to see other people's takes on the different relationships that were forming. Um, and I couldn't get enough out of it because of that. And it is peak game experience. Like you can't get that sort of game or that sort of experience from anything other than a game. So for sure, one I want to throw out there for a 2020 pick. The other one I would say also, I haven't played a whole lot of, but Final Fantasy VII Remake actually really does stand out to me as a solid, specifically 2020 experience. I did not realize, and this is just because I haven't played the series before, but how timely the narrative is, actually, um, and how well explained and written the characters within that narrative are. But you're in a, again, a kind of a dystopian world where corporations are in, are in charge and you're fighting against that to save your planet. And like that, I think, resonates a lot this year specifically um, with a lot of the things that we're seeing. And it, I think, is also notable because it's this legacy game yes. that is being reintroduced, but in its own unique, powerful way that, again, only video games can make this sort of leap, still capture the spirit of what, what made that original game so great. And then do it so well in a way that is mind blowing. That is especially for fans, like for people who played that original game. I mean, I guess you could do that with movies in some way. Like when they first released Star Wars Episode Seven, I was like, oh, yeah. like it's a Tie Fighter, but it looks good, you know, like things along those it's lines. It's not on a stick with yeah. a black background with white dots on it. So I guess I can't say too. Thank much you, there. George Lucas. But Final Fantasy Seven, I throw out there, and I was wondering if you were going to make that argument because it's a remake, but it is its own thing. It truly is, it is. because the gap between the '90s and you know 2020 so vast as far as technological jumps and leaps that we've made. Oh yeah, you really could make that argument. Well, and I, from what I understand, the the actual like some of the decisions that they made uh, towards the end game, especially, are very different. Yeah. Um. So they t- they put their own spin on it. Sure. And you can make the case that you know, someone who is different than who they were yesterday is a different person. You know, it's not the, yeah. you could, you could make that case. I, I would also like to make a note that among us is uh, disqualified. It's a 2018 <laughs> release. We talked about that, you know, oh, uh, man, games that us. games that, you know, make an impact, but don't quite, you know, it's fun to talk about, but it's, uh, and then I, I wonder if we'd be having the same conversation if Cyberpunk hadn't been a flop. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's so much that could have been said about 2020. But um, what about the flip that, especially that, in my experience, I made? What do you think about Immortals as the 2020 game? So I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think it's one, it stands out, not stands out. It It's a solid choice because we've both played it. Um, sure. Hades is a one-sided choice. Yeah, that's I, that's a bit of a bummer, unfortunately. I mean, I mean, you are the podcast host. 
eminence, his, his <laughs> no, preeminence. <laughs> but, don't say that. But uh, yeah, uh, but but um, that stands out as a good choice. Xenoblade. If it didn't, if, if it weren't my, I mean, you, I don't know. That's that's a tough one too. I, I like Immortals. Maybe that could be it. It's a game that has done nothing wrong. You know, yeah. the only thing that we are stumbling over is: do we like the do we like the obvious callback better, or do we like Ubisoft's version better? You know. So uh, I'm okay with that. What my you, thing with my thing with Immortals is, and I love the game. It sure. was it was what I wanted out of a game. Like I I can't point to anything that I disliked. I'd say the only problem with it is that my first hour was a whole lot like my last hour. I see. Like fair enough. It it does its thing, and it's just that. Like I don't know. Like fair as enough. far as I'm concerned, but. That, and that's not to say anything against the game. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a mediocre game. That make that makes it kind of sound like it is, but it's not. Sure, um, it just does what it does well. But the combat, you know, it's square, square, heavy. You know, trying. I guess well, on the switch would be Y and X, but like you're hitting back and forth, you're dodging. It's very straightforward in that in that side of things. The puzzles themselves are really good. I was very surprised about that. But at the same time, you're you're using that same just pick up blocks uh, move a lot. You know that that doesn't necessarily change throughout the game. Doesn't progress. the The story is pretty good, and then the world itself has a lot of interesting things to do. But it's not like Breath of the Wild, where you're in awe of like the next thing around the block, or like you see something you're like, "Ooh!" Like I don't know. It doesn't capture me in that same way. And a part of that is that you can go up on a ridge and mark everything on your map. And mm-hmm. then it's just there on your map, mm-hmm. um, which is a very Ubisoft Assassin's Creed thing. Yeah, like it's just for sure. full of icons. Yeah, which is something I think Breath of the Wild has on it. Whereas its world is full of like mystique, and you see something around the corner, you're like interested in all the little things. Yeah, and as far as 100 percenting a game, Breath of the Wild takes the cake because it's so much more challenging. Yeah. And- but Immortals is just it is perfectly yeah what it is so i would certainly make it a contender so i guess i guess the question is do we want to go with the comfort food item or do we want to go with the 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 new and the fresh or the the old and the comfortable you know after after talking about it you know we didn't bring up games like none of neither of us brought blast of us i didn't even bring up ghost of tsushima for this i don't think that that it's not doing anything that defines the year sure it's not like it could have come out anytime And, Unfortunately, and neither of us brought up another really popular one, Spider Man, because I don't think yeah, I Miles Morales. Yep, that's a that's a legendary game, but it I haven't played it unfortunately. So Doom I, Eternal. Doom Eternal is another super popular one. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, after talking through this, I I go back to Animal Crossing. I I would yeah. I think I think it is the 2020 game. Yeah, like there is nothing else that comes close to yep. the experience that ties into specifically that particular year in history yeah as well as animal crossing does and i think too just to harbor back to a little bit of a point animal crossing i won't even say went woke but there's no gender specific terms in that game i think i brought this up to you like you're not a dude or a chick in that game it's just a person it is utopia yeah i mentioned that to you uh i think earlier it's if you want to just be yourself and be uh, not even judged, because like, like I said, it's purely positive, but like there's no di- sexual distraction because it doesn't matter if you're a dude or a chick. Everyone treats you the same. Sure. So as far as like going woke in the right way, I would almost say that like they really nail it because you, you're not, wor- there's no overtly political tones. 
I know you mentioned like a, a China thing, but like it doesn't take away from any of the experience. It's it's both family friendly and individual friendly and social. It's just a, such a great package of a game, and it yeah. continued to be relevant throughout the holidays, even though it was released way early in 2020. Yeah, and they are dedicated to updating it. Yep. Like it will continue, and they've yep. added so many cool things since then. They added swimming, like that's a whole giant that changes everything portion of the. Yep. It's tied into the museum and everything. So like, yeah, total big change there. Who knows when they add other stuff? Because I'm sure they will. I'm sure there's some other big updates to come. So I don't think it'll be as big, but you can easily see them changing this game to the extent that it becomes the next big thing after Minecraft. Yeah. As far as like customizability, terraforming, which is both a, a, a gift and a curse, a nightmare and a dream. <laughs> the way that they continue to implement new ideas into this game, I, I kind of have to agree with you that 2020 probably should be Animal Crossing. All right. I think we're in agreement then. Uh, that sounds awesome. The official game of the year for Bard's Backlog goes to Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yes, Already sir. in our Hall of Games. So feel free to go back and listen to that episode. We go a lot more in depth into that particular game. But we'll go ahead and wrap up here with that. Thanks for listening to our awards for 2020. We are now able to put that chapter of our lives completely behind us and move on excited for the future uh here with 2021 and of course our next episode is going to cover xenoblade that'll be what we discuss next super psyched and then probably immortals i want to i want to put that as one of the official topics as well so we can talk through that be sure to tell a friend about the podcast drop us a five-star review check out our past episodes check out any other work that jared and i put out there throughout this year who knows what happens with that but we both have our own side projects that we work on so we'll see but we'll we'll plug those as they end up actually coming out thank you for taking the time to listen i hope you agree with our decision and if you don't tell us why what other game was more deserving of the game of the year than animal crossing we would love to hear what games got you through 2020 Yes, indeed, and we are glad to have survived. We made it. Well, at least if you're listening to this, you made it. Uh, <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> oh anyway, um, this is Josh Gagos signing off. <laughs>